Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined, by, as always, by our other co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby, and as always, Father the Mothership at Believe Network. Today is Friday. Surprise! December 1st. And guys, the holiday season is off and rolling. With the NFL in full stride and the NBA and NHL hitting midseason form, Bet Online is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info. With up to the minute sports wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions, Bet Online is the top spot for everything pro and amateur sports. Not just the big four, Bet Online has all the info available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time for almost any sport that's played from MMA to international soccer. Head to Bet Online today. And remember to use our promo code Believe, that's B L E A V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Guys, I listen, we all know. That Smith is not a unique last name, but maybe what Michigan State needed was just a little dash of the common man, a dash of Smith, a dash, a steady hand. Jonathan, name 26 Michigan State head football coach. John, your thoughts? Oh, man. You know, when you put it that way, it changed everything that we hired your uncle. I think we're a cousin, actually, but yeah, go on. (laughs) You know, uh, a relative of yours, I'm sure. It changes everything. Uh, I I was very I was surprised in a very good way, and only because I watched Michigan State leadership these past few years fail time and time again, and then they did something the right way, like and seemingly made a logical, thoughtful decision. And whether it was just Alan Haller or I don't know who else, um, hats off to you because this was handled correctly. Um, and we got a extremely capable and incredibly highly valued head coach uh, on the scene, all things considered. So I'm happy. Uh, I think there's some watch outs. That's with anybody. But you know, all things considered, dude. Um, Alan Haller seems to have nailed this one. It's hard to argue. Um, when you drew up the archetype of what Michigan State should be looking for in its next head coach, it was somebody who had been a head coach at a Power Five program, somebody that was comfortable being maybe feeling lesser than or feeling as though they are uh, a less funded or basically competing with another big time blue blood program in their same state. Someone young who wouldn't view Michigan State as a stepping stone um, and really just a steady hand. And I think in Jonathan Smith, Michigan State got exactly that. He's only 44 years old, but despite his young, you know, his, his, as head coaches in college football go, he's, he's very young. Um, despite that, he's been a head coach, I think, for seven years at Oregon State, his alma mater. We talked about how they're obviously in the shadow of Oregon. Again, 
people don't like to hear it, but Michigan State, obviously in the shadow of, of Michigan quite often, especially mostly on the football field, um, he's comfortable with that dynamic, uh, kind of has that chip on the shoulder approach. And you've seen what that's done on the football field at Oregon State, a place that is traditionally very, very difficult to win. Um, honestly, as I look at it, I don't know that there's five more difficult power five programs to recruit to than Oregon, than, than Oregon state. Not that Corvallis isn't beautiful, but not a super dense population in terms of, you know, high level football recruits. He's competing against a huge program in Oregon and yet he's turned around, you know, didn't start pretty, but last two years, won 10 games a year ago, won eight games this year at a place that's just not easy to win. Um, it's just hard to hard to overstate how many boxes this ticked. And I, I want to give Alan Haller a ton of credit because a different AD or any AD could have been in this situation and been like, okay, I did the thing with Mel. Mm-hmm. I've got to go double down on that mm-hmm. and throw more money at a bigger name and a flashier name. I try to pull somebody that may not ultimately be the right fit for your program long-term. Urban Meyer's name was thrown around quite a bit in this process, uh, obviously to no avail. I think it's a huge credit to Alan Hallard and whoever, you know, everyone else that was involved in this process that ultimately that wasn't really given the time of day. And in fact, the coaching search was kept extremely under wraps. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this is a school that notoriously leaks everything, especially mm-hmm. from the, the board. <laughs> Um, the fact that this was kept under wraps and, you know, Jonathan Smith in his introductory press conferences and his uh, early stage interviews was saying things like, you know, I kind of knew my mind was made up uh, a few weeks ago and like was alluding to the fact that this had been done kind of under the cover of darkness for, for quite some time. Um, Alan Haller's made some other great head coaching hires around the school and, and the other various athletic programs. Adam Nightingale being one, you know, Michigan state hockey right now is absolutely you know, I think they're in the top 10 in the country. Um, one of his hires has got a couple other big time ones in there as well. Uh, you know, Jonathan Smith, I, I, you know, hopefully if he followed that same protocol, which it seems like he did, will fit right alongside that. And listen, this guy has one coach of the year, he's co-coach of the year fitting for this podcast, co-coach of the year in 2022 in the Pac-12. Listen, there's good programs in that conference. You're seeing them compete for the college football playoff. I don't think it, I think people look at him and see him maybe as a bit boring. You know who else is boring? Mark D'Antonio. This is a very good thing. Jonathan Smith, I think, is an A-plus-plus hire. And I'll go down with the ship no matter how his tenure goes feeling that way. I love it. I I feel like that comparison has been made a little, um, you know, the D'Antonio one. Because I, I think you have to look past the overall head coaching record he had at Oregon State. Mm-hmm. And and understand the context of it. Like you said, if you go and look like at Oregon State's as a school, as a football program, it is like you said, a bottom five power five. Now, not a power five program. And a, a big reason that they are not invited to the big dance is because of how bad they've been over the past, you know, pr- history of the program. Mm-hmm. There's no amount of fixing he could have done to undo that. They're 104th of 131 teams all time in winning percentage. They have less, they have a losing record. 
they win 47.6% of their games. That's difficult to do when you're a power five team. Like it's actually <laughs> hard. And I'm not trying to dump on them. It's just, I'm trying to build up like what he did, you know, like they have six first round NFL draft picks ever. Like they've never been ranked number one in the country. They're 83rd all time in wins. Like, again, like what he was able to accomplish there is much like what's happening at Kansas, much like what's happened Shiano did at Rutgers. It is no small task. And to win at a place like that, knowing how hard it is to recruit there, the only way you win is if you've created some type of like such a strong team, like a team of people that are maybe not as good as the players on the other team, but to collectively work harder. And you've built a culture there where they believe that they can play above their skill level. Does that sound familiar to Mark D'Antonio? To me, it does. And that's what we like. He's not, and and I'll let you go, Austin. He's, like you said, I think the the cherry on top is he's very familiar with disrespect. And that is when Michigan State is at its best, when it has a chip on its shoulder. And um, I think this is something that he can help bring to the table and get our edge back. I think to take the I could first of all I couldn't agree with you more to take the parallel and the the even further there's there's two other points one is I think well Jonathan Smith's mantra is low ego high output I can't think uh, honestly of a better way to describe yeah. the D'Antonio era than that phrase which wasn't even a D'Antonio phrase and I absolutely love it because it speaks like you said to what he's done and the character of the players he's going to be looking for. And we'll talk about what to expect from the future here in a minute, like in terms of the way he'll build his roster and things like that. But if it's anything like that phrase, low ego, high output, we can all get behind that. I think the biggest parallel that I see is not necessarily in who they are as as, as people or anything like that, but it's what they represent and when they came into like be a part of Michigan State. If you go back it's going to the way back machine. But when you look at what Mark D'Antonio took over, yeah. it is, there are differences. I think institutionally, specifically, it was a different time. And the reasons for the departures of the previous coaches were obviously different, but high level thematically, John L. Smith had Michigan State in complete and total disarray when he left. I mean, it was a program that just consistently blew huge leads. It did give us one of the best rants of all time in Mike Valeni's Michigan State Notre Dame 2006 rant. If you have never listened to it, I can't believe you're listening to this. Stop this podcast right now. Go listen to that rant. It's <laughs> the best thing you'll ever hear. It's, it's one of the funniest things of all time. But the point is, it was all very well-deserved. And, and he just left this dysfunctional program like he left it worse than he found it It was fully dysfunctional michigan state currently sitting here today it's the same place they find themselves i mean i mean they're if you look back at john l smith's tenure look at back at mel tucker's tenure you had some high points undoubtedly undoubtedly you had some also high level talent that was brought into the program program by both of those gentlemen but when they throughout their course of their tenure it, it was just up and down and up and down and there was no defined style there was no culture there was no nothing 
And at the end of it, you turn around and look, look back and you're like, what the hell just happened? Obviously for different reasons. John L left because he's a bad football coach. Mel Tucker left because he made some extremely bad decisions and deserved to be let go. Now, Jonathan Smith, much like Mark D'Antonio, comes in, seems to be very blue collar, has won at places that are difficult to win. And uh, just that that low ego, high output saying, I think could it, that's the type of mantra that Michigan State has to have. As much fun as we have had with the photo shoots and like the shooting for five stars, not to say that Jonathan Smith shouldn't shoot for five stars, but like all the flash and like the Georgia Alabama approach, like it was really fun. We saw where it got us. And I think Michigan State with Smith is going to be able to get back to their roots a little bit. And mm-hmm. um, it will lead them ultimately to much more consistent success moving forward. Absolutely. <clears throat> you know, and while, you know, I have certainly some reservations and we'll go over those in a bit. Sure. He he has experience at the highest level. <clears throat> He's the offensive coordinator for a playoff team in Washington in 2016. So he knows what it takes to get there. Right. And that's that's half of it. Like, if you don't know, you have to the way you know is if you've been there and he has. He's the offensive coordinator for a very high output uh, offense at Washington. with Jake Locker, I believe. Mm-hmm. Back. Um, yeah. I mean, to me, that was a mandatory and there was a little bit of a. Not quite the same as D'Antonio winning a national championship, but again, knowing what it takes to get there, I think you have to experience that. Um, and not to say that he couldn't do that at Oregon State, but he will have a lot easier of an opportunity to do that at Michigan yes. State because of the resources, the money, the conference, um, the fan base, etc. So uh, everything's in front of him, you know, to, to setting him up for success and. He started to fill out the staff fairly quickly, as you can imagine. Um, you got to lock in those commits pretty quick. Austin, maybe take them through who we've seen um, added to the staff. Yeah. So thus far, it's been entirely offensive hires. Um, and the reason for that is because the defensive coordinator, Trent Bray, who it seems like Smith tried to bring over to be, uh, you know, take on that same position at Michigan State was actually promoted to be Oregon State's head coach. So um, you can't say that he wasn't shooting high. The guy was obviously deserving of a head coaching job and he got it and, you know, credit to him. But because of that, that search is going to start pretty fresh. Now on the offensive side, uh, there are um, some pretty encouraging additions. He brought over uh, four position coaches, including offensive coordinator Brian Lindgren, um, the Oregon State offense averaged 33.8 points a game, scored 20 plus points in every single game this season until they played Oregon, which, you know, who can really blame them? Um, that's a top, you're good for a top 35 offense. And again, at Oregon State, right, with that, the shouldn't, athletes, that shouldn't with get athlete. lost. It, yeah. You remember the athlete, level of athlete, <clears throat> the level of you know, roster composition that you're able to create at a place like that like that shouldn't yeah. be lost D- absolutely not um the other position coaches some of the really exciting ones uh offensive line and associate head coach and run game coordinator i'm going to butcher this name jim mahalzik um 2021 Broyles award nominee that's for the best offensive line um 
And then Oregon State was one of the – oh, no, excuse me. Uh, he was Broyles Award nominee, which is, I believe, the best offensive line coach. And then Oregon State was also one of the four finalists for the 2021 Joe Moore Award, which is for the best offensive line group. They finished 14th in Power 5 in rushing. That's second, 22nd in the nation. Um, I, this one in particular gets me excited. I know we've been <laughs> fooled by offensive line coaches in the past, uh, but um, – yeah. But once again, this is an offensive line coach who is an award nominee, who has proof on the field that he can do uh, what his resume claims he can do. And um, they are, Oregon State is probably going to have either a first or a second round offense. I think it's a tackle pick uh, in, I'm going to butcher this name too, I believe it's Talise Fauga or something like that. Um, who they're going to put into the you know early rounds of the NFL draft again at Oregon State impressive thing to do there and then additionally speaking of early draft picks uh, tight end and recruiting coordinator Brian Wozniak who's one of Smith's key assistants he is responsible for developing uh, Green Bay Packers 2022 second round draft pick Luke Musgrave. Um, Again, we're talking about early picks from Oregon State. How does that make you feel? Our tight end uh, aficionado. Like, I, how does how does that hire like grade that higher for me? I'm very nervous about how excited I am about those two position hires. But it, listen, everyone who's listened to this show for any period of time knows that I crave an offense that's centered around not centered around, but like features a consistent blocking and catching tight end it's all i've ever wanted i think it's the mm-hmm. most dynamic uh position in football it's a player that if you have a difference maker there can unlock everything for you yep. and uh the fact that you've got a, a a guy who's coached some legit difference makers and has talent to work with in spades on the msu roster is yeah i'm uh i was excited about this one in particular I'm happy to hear that because I wonder how that will or will not affect current tight ends on the roster who um, showed potential towards the end of the year of being NFL capable. So I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, let's just say his name, Willie Carr guys, if, if anybody's going to get it out of him, it is Brian Wozniak. Uh, And I think it's other guys on the roster too, right? Like, um, Jack Nickel, uh, yeah, Parachek. Brandon Parachek. I know there's another name that I'm forgetting in there, but uh, wouldn't be surprised to see MSU add to that room to the transfer portal. Um, and actually, in general, actually, let's talk about the last coach first. Yeah, uh, Keith Bonapa. He is uh, Oregon State's running back coach. He's previously been at Boise State in Washington. He's had five players that he's previously coached selected in the NFL draft again. Listen, you don't just want to say, hey, it's cool. Bring all your friends with you. But when your friends have had success developing talent at places that are difficult to develop talent, they clearly have an eye for it. Uh, that That's a good thing. Um, and again, mm-hmm. Michigan State, not shy, not shy on talent in that position group either. Um, and, you know, it's a place that identifying some maybe call it diamonds in the rough is a little easier to do on the recruiting trail than others. But all in all. What's exciting about this group is that, again, they made things work at Oregon State. They've developed NFL talent. They've competed with high-scoring offenses and stayed right in there. They've consistently put points on the board. And from what 
you know, just in reading about the style of the offense, I read somewhere that it was described as uh, akin to what the San Francisco 49ers run. And so if you're not an you know, a huge NFL fan, that's a very diverse offense. That's an offense that uses its running backs like wide receivers, its wide receivers like running backs, and its tight ends like wide receivers. It, it makes decisions easy for quarterbacks. There's a ton of motion to help them identify, are we looking at a zone? Are we looking at man? Are we seeing blitz? Making reads easy. The thing that offenses that 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 Jay Johnson's offense never did uh, was make score. But a okay, we can start there. Also, just make things easy on a quarterback ever. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you were insane enough to watch this season, you saw quarterbacks that were have to make the most difficult throws on the field consistently yeah. and have it be their second or third read through a route tree, like. Nothing was easy. No slants. Terrible screen formation. Like, just no, nothing was easy. This team's offense, that dynamic, like, you got to find players who are who are multi-talented enough to kind of do some of these things. Yep. But they play to their team's strengths. Michigan State has not done that for the last four years. Uh-huh. And so, unless it was handing the ball to Kenneth Walker. So, I I just am very encouraged that maybe there are some adults in the room now that can see, hey, okay, we got guys with X, Y, and Z skill set. Let's use it accordingly. <clears throat> did you round, want to round out with a wide receivers? Um, Indeed, I did. This is not a new name for people, but it is an exciting <clears throat> name. That's Courtney Hawkins, Michigan State's wide receiver coach since 2020, has been retained. Um, I think it speaks to a couple of things. It speaks to the caliber of hawk as a coach um Mm -hmm. you know while this year's group maybe wasn't the most dynamic group i think you saw some good things from tyrell henry you saw montori foster become uh you know a pretty nice little story throughout the course of the year he's made some incredible catches and was probably the only real consistent pass catcher on the team you go back i mean this is the guy that helped identify recruit and develop keon coleman who's you know potentially going to the playoff in a couple weeks here um there's plenty of other good names on his rap sheet so good stuff keeping hawk around i and will the also culture, I, right? the culture culture's huge absolutely and I, I, a, a non-small part of this caught maybe it's a hunch is that michigan state's top recruit top 50 or so recruit in the country nick marsh just so happened to be a wide receiver committed to courtney hawkins and was a big fan of his as a recruit um as a position coach and so uh, i don't Marsh think that's the that's like a cherry on top, right? You it know, is one hundred percent. It's and I'm not trying to say that that's the only reason. Marsh is the type of kid, athlete, player that can come in and play for just about anybody from day one. So, cherry on top is that you keep that uh, relationship intact, and hopefully, you know, Nick Marsh, who decommitted and recommitted to Michigan State at one point in time, decides it's enough to just do that once. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, like you said, you have thoughtful move by Jonathan Smith already to, you know, understand, I don't know, Michigan state. Yes. I, I need people who do, I, I need to win the fan base over. And to do that, I need to better understand the culture. And, um, I'd like someone who represents the culture on my staff so I can learn faster. Right. So great move. Um, there's no, uh, defensive hires, I believe to date, and a couple of uh, administrative 
hires have been made. <clears throat> Still missing the special teams coach, Austin. Can you keep an eye out on that? That's a big one for us. Um, I had I want to talk about my reservations quickly, and I want you to talk me out of this. I okay. was a little surprised that um, he tried to bring that Jonathan Smith tried to seemingly bring everybody with him. Everybody was his favorite son. And we know that he wanted the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, and then obviously O-line coach, tight end coach. Who knows if he wanted the other position coaches on defense? I don't know. What I do know is not everyone can be your favorite son. And what made me nervous is that when you bring everybody, you didn't actually do the due diligence of finding out if they're you're getting the best. And when I say that, you have a new salary pool, a bigger one, a lot bigger one. Huge one. You have now an opportunity to go and see if there's somebody even better than the guy that was with you. It's not a slight against them. In fact, no one should be handed anything. <clears throat> they should interview for the job, just like you had. In, he had to interview for the Michigan State head coaching job. And to me, Michigan State was in a unique position where we're kind of stripping Oregon State for parts, and there's nothing they can do about it. And I feel bad about that, and we'll we'll talk about that maybe later. But it's just reality. These guys have nowhere to go. They're going to the group of five. This is their ticket out. So it's not as if, like, Oregon State can pay them more. So if you do an interviewing process, you may end up hiring them. They may end up being the best uh, people for the job, for what Jonathan Smith wants to do with his defense or offense. That's okay. I think you're in a unique position where it's not as if we took a coach um, that is in a current Power Five conference where they may be able to match or other people are going to to make it more difficult for you to take unless you do in the first couple of days. I just, I want you to talk me out of the fact that he is capable of moving and and making moves at the at a big boy program because he has big boy budget and I don't want him to be scared of the amount of staffers he has available to him because it's too much talk me out of I'd uh, hit the last point first I took his because you're talking about the comment where he said uh, Alan Haller told me he had 53 support staff and he said oh I don't need that many I, I personally interpreted that as him saying I know how I want to run things, allocate resources accordingly. I like don't it. need all that fluff. Good. I, and I think I think more than anything, you know, we talked about it earlier, but like Michigan State needs a culture reset. And I don't think a small part of why they chose Smith in particular is because of the culture that he built at Oregon State, which is underdogs winning with less. Again, go back to that that same saying, low ego, high output. If you're Jonathan Smith and you know that that's, again, not a small part of the reason you got this job, the best way to ensure that consistency and instill that in your new job is to work with the guys that you know can do it, which are the guys that you just did it at, at a place that's much harder to do it at. And those are your guys that you've won with before, which is your offensive coordinator, defense coordinator, all these position coaches. So I think consistency would have ideally across the board been a really good thing. 
um, which is why he probably tried to bring all of his band of merry men with him. And if you're if you're him, the decision is either I try to bring the guys that I know I can do this with, or I interview and realistically, even if it's maybe a guy you worked with for a year here and there, whatever, you know, I take a risk and really go out on a limb with a new person that through an interview process, you're like, okay, this could work. It, if it's that versus bringing the, you know, the guys that you've done it with before with you, I think it's an easy decision. You try to stick with what's worked. Um, now I, I, I understand the point that you're making, which is, you know, you got big money, go throw it around. Um, which we're going to see him do now on the defensive side of this coaching staff because he has no other choice. But I think the initial instinct or option one of um, let, let, yeah, let's run it back with the guys we know that have done it successfully it, in a big boy conference. He's not coming from Cincinnati like D'Antonio was. We're not hiring him away from, you know, even the Big 12, man, like Colorado. Like, yeah, you do this in the Pac-12, which, yes, is dissolving, but also has like great programs top to bottom. So the, great we took the, them. Here's one one point here really quickly. The Pac-12 is not going away because of the caliber of teams. I think it should be made very clear for people. If anything, like, yes, Oregon State was one of the bottom two, probably two to three, but depending on where you put, you know, Arizona. But they still hung with those top programs for the last handful of years here. That conference isn't going away because of the caliber of teams. It's going away because they were incredibly mismanaged. Yep. And these teams could go make more money elsewhere. That yep. It is business. It is not football. So the fact that he won there isn't saying, oh, you won in some ranking day conference. It's yep. you won in one of the legitimate power five. Like maybe number three on that list even. Uh-huh. Uh, so that shouldn't be discounted. And the fact that his assistants were there to help him do that Again, I just think I can't blame him for wanting to to run it back. I, but I think it's a unique challenge now for him to now go out and identify like, okay, who's actually going to you know run my defense? And this is an immediate test for him as a head coach because yep. he's got to get this right. He he has to get this right because he's an offensive guy. That's another part here. He's an offensive coach. He was yep. a quarterback there. Yep. So it's not quarterback. Their best teams, by the way. Quarterback. Yeah, and he was Chad Johnson's quarterback. Ocho Cinco's quarterback. TJ Huzmanzada. Uh, uh, Did I yeah. get that right? Yeah, Hosh Mazode. Uh, <laughs> Hosh Mazili. They had a squad, great. dude. They had a little squad. They had, dude, they had a great. Yes, he's been a part of like the two most successful stretches in that school's history. The and only successful stretches. Exactly. And so, again, you're getting a guy who knows what it's like to win through adversity and make tough situations great. And so I trust, I mean, you can't, you have no choice but to trust him to find a defensive guy to help take, to own that side of the ball. I think maybe that's, and I'll let you get in here. That's the thing is, as we look to see who will this hire be, this is where I wouldn't mind him going out because he couldn't get his own guy who ended up being a head coach and make a kind of a splash and have somebody own that side of the ball. Because if that's not his side of the house, then give somebody ownership over it. So I'd, yeah. I'd be kind of fascinated to see where that ends up. Yeah. It's actually maybe a, uh, a gift in that, you know, I, I hear you, you sold me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> drinking the Kool-Aid. It didn't work out. And then maybe that's okay because now you have an opportunity to find, like you said, a guy um, who has that experience running a ship and, or 
Midwestern ties, which is important for yes. as we know. Um, you know, he's already made uh, doing his due diligence. You know, calling up the people who who would the warmest leads first, which is smart guys who were committed at one point, um, making the phone calls to the state of Michigan to the top 25 programs, um, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how are we going to do this, right? I mean, that is undoubtedly one of the biggest washouts he has and had in the interview process. How are you going to recruit, man? Like, you don't know anyone here. And Mm -hmm. this is, the Midwest is different than the Pac-12 as far as style of football. One of the coolest things about college football, honestly, is the regionalism and like how there can be different types of football in different areas. It's stereotypical, but to an extent, Big Ten is played with more defense and punting and less flash. And, you know, like time of possession is more important and that's different in different parts of the country. What are you going to do? to win over high school coaches in the Midwest, you know, what is, what does that look like? He's got to figure that out and maybe he can two birds, one stone that with the defensive hires he makes. Yeah. And, and the only name that I've heard even rumored there is, uh, Danton Lynn, who is, I believe he's UCLA. Yeah. UCLA's defensive coordinator. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what the the connection is there for him to Michigan State, but um, he is he presided over some super talented defenses, but uh, they don't have great like rankings in general. But um, mm-hmm. he was the safeties coach for the Ravens, so obviously has some NFL ties. So uh, you can't be too mad about that. Pretty young dude. Oh my God, I'm actually older than him. He's only 34. Bummer. That's terrifying. That bummer. sucks. But bummer, uh, bummer, bummer. either way, that's all. that's the only name I've heard. Let's move on from that as quickly as we can. To uh, the coaching carousel? To the, to the carousel, where we love to be. And honestly, John, as we look at the carousel, which is far from over, but the first major wave has been, you know, taken on, has come and gone. As we look at these names... I, I I come away feeling even better about the Smith hire. You should. How about you? You should, because I, I think it's important for all the people who had unrealistic expectations about Urban Meyer to understand how good of a hire we just made. And the context I'll provide is that there are eight uh, Power Five programs that are in need of a head coach currently today that could change so far there have been six hires texas a&m and i'm going to tell you who they are and i'm going to tell you the most important part is their previous experience the highest level of previous previous experience they've had as we all may know texas a&m fired jimbo fisher bought out his 76 million dollar contract which is one of the biggest boy things you've ever done and followed it up by hiring Mark Stoops, wait, no, Mike Elko. I don't know if that anyone <laughs> caught that they leaked that Mark Stoops was the guy and there was a Twitter revolt, a yeah. uh, message board meltdown, um, and rightfully so. Uh, you don't buy out Jimbo Fisher for $76 million and go get Mark's the second best Stoops brother. Yeah. Um, they get Mike Elko. I don't know how excited they are about that. Like, 
I think they thought they were going to make a lot bigger splash. But there's the parameter right there, guys. Texas A&M has infinite money. Clearly. They got Mike Elko, a guy that was on our shortlist. Mm -hmm. A Power 5 head coach, no less. And further, Northwestern has hired their uh, interim head coach, who previously his highest position was a uh, defensive coordinator at a Power 5 school. Mississippi State fired Zach Arnett, and they hired Oklahoma's offensive coordinator, Mike Levy. So again, they didn't even get a head guy with head coaching experience. They got a coordinator at a Power 5 school. Indiana fired Tom Allen and ha- just hired Kurt Signetti, James Madison's head coach. It's a group mm-hmm. of five head coach. Okay. It's not less than. Well, it is. It is less than. It's not a bad thing. It's just their station in the football world. It's the best they could do. Syracuse fired Dino Babers. They hired a Georgia's defensive backs coach. Okay. Fran Brown might be fantastic. But I'm as far as we hired a what was a Power Five programs head coach. Other Power Five programs are hiring defensive back coaches. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, that's that's the context you should consider when you decide if this was a good hire or not. Because these other programs, they're making their bets on coordinators and position coaches. Like, yeah. Uh, I want to quickly go back really, really fast and retract what I said about uh, Danton Lynn. Because I was looking through total defense stats and other stats, and I couldn't find UCLA. And I'm like, why can't I find them? Is because they're way higher in the rankings than I thought. They did mm-hmm. number 11 total defense this past year. Uh, and one of, the, I think, the, the number one rushing defense. or Yeah, number one rushing defense, number 11 total defense, number 16 scoring defense, and uh, one of the better passing defenses as well, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, uh, we're all in on Dan Lynn if he wants to come down. Um, so, yeah, you, you heard it here first, the full-on reversal. But to get back <laughs> to your point, John, um, I like – I love the Smith hire. I love saying that. But I love the Smith hire <laughs> in, a vac- in a vacuum. But then when you apply context like you just did, it becomes even better. And it really makes you appreciate how – much of a needle MSU was trying to thread with this head coaching search, which was young guy not looking to use this as a stepping stone who has experience and has that steady hand and believes in low effort, high output, like that, that, that personality they were going after. And, and especially that point about being a head coach, you just said it. These aren't, listen, we're, we're not talking about a murderer's row of mm-hmm. programs here, aside from Texas A&M. Right. who also hired a, a head coach, but the head coach they hired, which you mentioned, has less experience as a head coach, is older, and we don't really know. Like, you know, he had a lot of success at Duke, but he did it kind of with their players, which is a testament. <laughs> That's to, a good thing, though, you could argue. Which is a good thing, absolutely, but I don't know. He's going right back into the meat grinder at a Like, we don't know. I think Elko's <laughs> going to be a good hire. I have no idea if it'll work out. Dude, uh, you take that job a thousand times out of a thousand because you hope to be bought out. 
You want to be absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I want to. Bro, Mike Mike Elko just retired. I know like, he's done. Like, there's not. There's no other reason to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because they don't pay Jimbo seventy six to go away, not to pay Mike Elko something decent. So that that's fantastic. I mean, uh, Northwestern, like you said, had no choice but to promote David Braun, Big Ten Coach of the Year. Well, very very well deserved. Um, yeah, Jeff Levy. People are super on the fence about that. Doesn't do a lot for me personally. The one I want to shout out is Indiana because yeah. Indiana grew up. We just watched. Yeah, I think the, it's all about expectations, though, right, Austin? But, well, okay, yes. But this is okay. I think there's a very interesting point here. So, A, they ponied up 20 million to get rid of Tom Allen when we not, all knew. Not an insignificant all, amount of money. Not, not at all. Not at all. That's a lot of money to buy a head coach. They're, if they didn't have, you know, Texas A&M literally spending four times as much, you know, it would probably <laughs> that, be a bigger story. To, you're totally right because I think we're, we we kind of got lost in that. Like twenty million dollars yeah. to buy out a coach is not a that's small a lot. thing for, for a lot of power fight. Like that's a big deal. Like Th- you, that's a lot of. I don't care who you are. Mm-hmm. Any program, truly, like $20 million to buy your head coach, the guy who actually made you relevant, truly, like what what you could call as relevance in Indiana football history. Like the, the, Tom Allen deserves a lot of credit for doing even what he did. He fought to get the stadium upgraded. He fought to get the facilities upgraded yep. and now is a victim of his own fight, which is a fight for expectations. I think – it's a like now that we're we're getting into like you know college football you know call it 2.0 or maybe even 3.0 now with these mega conferences at a certain point i don't think it's unreasonable to to imagine the very large oversized conferences eventually looking at the balance sheet and saying Kind of like the ACC is already doing. You're already hearing Clemson and Florida State kind of say these things. But looking at the bottom few on there, the ones in the red, and saying, what are we doing carrying this dead weight around? Mm -hmm. Why are we we keeping these guys here? They're just taking money. Because they were here before. Yeah, Yeah, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. When I've got Oregon playing Rutgers on a, you know, Thursday night in November, like, it, it, regionality doesn't matter. What matters is his, can, his, his numbers. Can I know? can I jump in real quick on that? Because sure. if you, I've seen these smaller, you know, let's just call it shittier uh, football program schools, be convinced that they, you know, were born with a, a silver spoon, and you know they're just a, they're along for the ride because they've been along for the ride since 1909 or whenever they were mm-hmm. in these conferences, <clears throat> guys. I have some bad news for you. The Pac-12 just did it. Like they were just rated. Like they were just rated. They were rated, and it's over. Like the same thing is going to do. You, there's no loyalty. It's about money. And I, I'm sorry. That sucks. It's reality though, and for this, this situation, and that means we're there will be some whittling that will take place in the near future unless something major changes, right? And, and that is why I think Indiana just made a decision yep. that if they yep. actually thought about this, is a tremendous amount of foresight <laughs> on their part, and they deserve yep. a lot of credit for it. 
they don't want to end up on the chopping block. Yep. Because in five years from now, whatever it is, you, you think it's going to be way far in advance. It's not. It's not. You're going to look and you're going to see there's going to be an Oregon State and a Washington State from all these other conferences. It, it will happen. And you're going to look back and be like, what? Like, oh, my God, how could they do this? And then you're going to have Vanderbilt. You're going to have Indi- teams like te- – these are the teams that should be concerned, right? Mm-hmm. It's the Indianas, the Vanderbilts, the Northwesterns. Uh, you Rutgers. Know, the, the Rutgers, the Illinois, like the teams that aren't bringing a lot to the party from the football side of the house. It, listen, man, this is only so far that these conferences are going to take you. So I, I Austin, all no the, one and also no one cares about the other sports. We know no, that because Stanford, nobody. Stanford was left out in the cold with I mean, all they win the, exactly. that president's cup or whatever every year. Like it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And you know what else doesn't matter as much as a lot of people hate to hear this? College basketball. Yeah. None of that. That doesn't matter either. It doesn't. It genuinely does talk, not. Talk to Kansas and Duke about. Like, Seriously. Don't matter. Like, it, it, it's fun. We It's something for us to do and enjoy in the winter. But as far as, you know, financial. From a moneymaker. Nope. Here's how, how many people sit in Cameron Indoor. I know this answer. I actually know this. Okay. 9,314. 9,000. I would wager that one section, or maybe maybe that, I mean, we just talk about the, Mich- so Michigan State, not even an exceptionally big college football stadium, is 73,000? Uh, 70,000, I know this one, too, I think. I believe it's 76,505. Yeah, uh, so al- almost, you know, eight or nine times the size, whatever, I'm bad at math. Um, it's, and that's just tickets. Seventy-five thousand and five. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. I'm really yeah. bummed. I knew the Cameron Indoor one and not our own. Like that sucks. It's okay. My bad. Um, but the, the the point is that college football, like that's the ratio, pretty yeah. much right there. Yeah. Like that. Yes. That's how outsized the impact is of college football, especially on the bottom line. It's even greater. So, it you know, if college college basketball is not saving you, it look to the ACC, Syracuse, Duke. Nobody cares. Nobody yeah. cares. Nobody cares. So it's gonna it's gonna be very interesting. And this will all I think eventually lead to like college football breaking away from all the other conferences, things getting yeah. realigned. But I, I only bring up this whole topic because I think either Indiana just said, Okay, enough's enough, or they had a tremendous amount of foresight to see, like, hey, listen, we want to stay off the chopping block. Let's hire somebody that we think can keep us in the the meaty middle and you know, not not put us in a danger position in a couple of years. Can I take it further? I think it's a fantastic hire. And I think it's interesting for the big 10 that both Michigan state and Indiana currently the only uh, programs in the big 10 that had a head coach and vacancy Northwestern, obviously being the other. So never mind. but that Tom Allen was their defensive coordinator. Um, Mm -hmm. They just got a guy who has been a head coach winner for the past his whole career like there's a i'm not like demeaning tom allen i just think there's a difference in that hire like in in indiana saying hey our interim dc our interim head coach who was the defensive coordinator is now our head coach versus we just hired one of the winningest head coaches in the past 10 years regardless of um division like that's that's a big difference and Mm -hmm. michigan state hiring mel tucker who had frankly, no real 
experience that jumped out on the page beyond, you know, what he sold our comp- our team and program in a five and seven record at Colorado as a head coach. And that was it. That's it. And now we hired a guy who's been at some place for seven years at a harder place and won more games like that. Mm-hmm. Big 10 just got a lot better immediately because of these two head coaching hires. I think that's interesting. I think it's also just a big boy moment for both programs. Like yeah. it's, it's, I think your, your point about Indiana is so, so spot on. Like again, Tom Allen deserves credit for the job that he did, but sure. Like that's a program that when it promoted him was like, we're in the big 10. Nobody cares. Yeah. yeah we're not going They didn't care about anywhere. football. You know exactly. how I know they didn't care about football? They just said, you know what? He won the old Oak and bucket or whatever, probably. Yeah. I don't even know. And, and, you know, everyone seems to be fine with it. Hey, when's basketball start? It, exactly. And this, uh, I'm telling you, people don't think that these TV kind this is when people say TV dictates everything. This is what they're talking about. Like, I'm not sure this decision gets made like this even yep. three years ago. Truly. Yep. Yep. And I think Michigan State looking at it the same way. Like, I, I think from Michigan State's perspective, it's maybe a little bit different because they know that they're not that far from being in the top five or six teams in this conference. And they are not. They are not. No, we but know that. Know we just watched a terrible season right. of right. Big Ten football. We know it's right there, and they know they need a, uh, to have an identity and, like, a consistent hand to keep them in the mix. Because if you are in the top four of the Big Ten in yep. any given year when this playoff expands, you are right yeah. in the thick of it for the playoff. You are yeah. right there. You're right there. I mean, if you – yeah. Like, if you – even this year, right, if you were to do a 12-team playoff the way that they say it before – it's not impossible to think Michigan that 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 the Big Ten gets three teams in this year with they more would. conferences at play. Like, 100% would. yeah. So I mean, MSU was in, and it's I I, I finally heard. I think it was Max Brown, the former yeah. Uh, yeah. USC quarterback, finally said. I think what we had said on a show, which was like the top jobs in college football and the top programs in college football, essentially are like cut in half now. Thirty-four. It's, the, it's thirty-four. We've been saying it. We've been saying it for a year. We've been saying it for quite some time, ever since this whole thing started. And um, it's true. And for Jonathan Smith, I think it's you know people, yeah, Oregon State fans not taking it great, understandably, quite honestly, but terrible year, bad year. Oregon State fan, I I get it. out. I I will accept your. I will accept your vitriol. Um, Same. They're they're not mad at us, dude. They aren't. No, they're not. They're like mad at the they're mad this. at the situation. He had to do this. Like Smith yes. had to leave. Like it, it, you got the chance to jump to a job that thirty four people in the world get to have. Yep. And and, and that's going to pay you. By the way, we didn't even talk about his contract. Yep. Bravo, bravo to Michigan State for a guy. You paid him well, seven years, seven plus million a year. The way they allocated those resources phenomenal they didn't overpay them because of some standard that they had set on themselves mm-hmm. they gave that they reallocated that money to assistance so it'll be very interesting to see where that all goes from here like i said danton land said it from day one want him never shed never shed shredded out uh <laughs> you know i but he had to go he had to go like that's how that's how big of a shift this is it's the guy who was the quarterback over the most successful period of time 
in his school's history. And then the head coach over another, probably the second or maybe now the first most successful time in his school's history left in his prime as a coach, maybe not even in his prime as a coach to take a job at a school that has looked on paper like an absolute dumpster fire. So that that's what TV contracts do is they make you make those kind of decisions and they shape mm-hmm. truly the way that all of this stuff works. So, um, but all in all, listen, Michigan state has looked awful for the last handful of months. I think Alan Haller deserves a tremendous amount of credit for executing this, getting the best head coach that's been hired so far, pretty unequivocally in my opinion, um, and doing it all under wraps. I mean, yep. just tr- tremendous amounts of credit to him. And, you know, listen, again, I'll go down with the ship. I think it's a phenomenal hire, no matter what ends up happening from here. Me too. And like you said, you know, for as bad as things are at Michigan State, it's still a big boy program. And they proved it. This is the, you know, the salary we're paying is good. It wasn't mm-hmm. overpaying, but it was for the level a head coach, at a Michigan State football coach should get in, in the first year. It's 17th nationally. It's sixth in the Big Ten, the new Big Ten, behind Ryan Day, uh, Lincoln Riley, James Franklin, Jim Harbaugh, and Luke Fickle. Right there with Luke Fickle, by the way. That's that's yeah. probably where it it's should where be. Where you should be. It's where you should be. Right. So until further notice, and by the way, we've already shown that if you win, maybe we'll be a bit more conservative this time around. We'll <laughs> pay you more than them. Like it, we're ready to spend, and I and that should give you hope as a Michigan State fan that Alan Haller did the right thing much in the way honestly Austin I was shocked that we did the right thing like when the Lions started doing the right thing I was like oh good that was good I love it we should keep doing more good things yeah so uh you know we're feeling good about the the higher the roster much like the coaching staff is in flux. Yeah. A lot of folks are hitting the portal as they should. Um, find out where your market rate is, see where you could end up, get recruited by this new head coach, right? Like I believe in all of these kids, not kids, adults, you know, figuring out what's next for them. They are the ones that suffer the most from this situation. It's their lives, right? And um, I think a lot of these guys are doing the right thing, um, seeing what else is out there. And Austin, I know that the list keeps growing, but um, were there any you wanted to highlight? Yeah, I mean, the first one that jumps off the I mean, well, John, first of all, do you have any eligibility left? I'm like, I know we're joking. Like, people are so worried right now. I think we need to quell that fear about like the roster situation. (laughs) No, I mean, the. Well, I was teasing because all three of the quarterbacks entered the the, the portal, which I thought was kind of funny. And I Noah right Kim. now am uh, I am the gif of Shannon Sharp saying that ain't no problem. That ain't no yeah, problem. Right. <laughs> I'm fine. No, it's I, fine. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm great. It's fine. I'm with you. I did, well, it's t- it's twofold. First of all, from the player's perspective, you should. It's like players declaring for the NBA draft. It's like what. You know, maybe you're not guaranteed a spot coming back, which is something you should think about before you put your name in there. But these guys should find out their market rate. Previously good recruits, like all three of those quarterbacks are going to find homes somewhere if they choose not to come back. I mean, I completely get. Um, 
So on that side, it's like, yes, they should. And I'm a, from a fan perspective, and this might sound cold, but I'm not getting brokenhearted over a single one of these guys entering the portal. Truly, the last two years have been horrific. So I don't know why anyone from a fan base perspective is going to be like up in arms when some of these guys leave. There's no Jaden Reed. Be able to, to benefit from a fresh start. Exactly. I mean, this isn't like last year. Like when Keon Coleman entered the portal, we're all like, okay, that sucks. That's a clear stepping stone moment. He's going somewhere to be a part of a big time thing. And like, you know, he sees that this isn't going to be it for him when he wants to be a first round pick. Thank God for him. I'm very happy for him. We've said it so many times, but it worked out. His plan worked. I'm thrilled for him. When we can't spin zone it, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. But these guys, listen, I hope they all go somewhere and have success if that's Michigan yeah. State or elsewhere. But this is how this works now. Again, we're talking about modern day college football. A coach comes in, players leave, players come in, you reset things, you move forward. What I'd like to have heard from Smith is that he has very much emphasized that this is a development type of program. He is trying to recruit and develop players. The guys that I talked about before, um, you know, the offensive lineman in particular, that he is going to turn into a first round. Tylee Seifuaga was a low three-star offensive tackle. He's going to turn him into a first round pick. There's plenty, there's a handful of other examples, but that's the type of attitude he's going to take here. So in the short term, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he has to hit the portal more early on just to fill out a lot of this roster. Um, but this is a team that's going to try to grow through recruiting. I mean, they're going to try to build a consistent program, not lose a lot of transfers, which he didn't in his time there. And, uh, you know, build from the bottom up. He's going to have to supplant it. It's really not, I mean, it's it's what Mel Tucker said he wanted to do, but didn't actually do. It's just yeah. the, it's the actual uh, operational, you know, the way forward. Uh, but yeah, if I'm, if I'm giving advice to Michigan State fans right now, it's don't freak out. Like, Michigan State, you're not just going to lose these players and not pick other players up. All three of the quarterbacks entered. Very possible one or two of them come back. There's also some other names out there from a quarterback perspective that Jonathan Smith will be all over. This is the same guy who went out and got DJU from Clemson a year ago and turned him into a very good quarterback. land, Land on that point for a second. DJU, for all of his challenges at Clemson, Jonathan Smith landed him in Corvallis. He had a lot of yeah. opportunities, a lot of different other places, okay? And and he landed him. So I think that is important as far as a portal recruiting, you know, barometer. That's big to me. 100%. I mean, DJU was a, like a top five recruit, period, regardless of position at Clemson, a school that had just turned out, you know, Deshaun Watson and, and Trevor Lawrence. Like nice. that's that, must be nice. <laughs> yeah, like I'm yeah, right, exactly. Um, and then he got him to Corvallis, where he turned him into a very good quarterback, who is now yes. once again in the portal. By the way, if you didn't see that, yeah. Um, yeah. But he, you know, listen. He in 2023, DJU turned into a 21 touchdown, seven interception quarterback. Completed only 58 percent of his passes, but like he turned him like. He got him to come to Corvallis, Oregon from mm-hmm. Clemson. 
for his redemption. Like this is the redemption. only yeah. place you could like bounce back or yeah. you know, his next stop would bounce him back. He yeah. chose Corvallis. It, and it's interesting too, because you look at a handful and it, there's two names in particular that people are all going to want to talk about. So we might as well talk about him. That's Aiden Childs, who is the backup quarterback from Oregon state was a top six. Again, another Testament to, to Smith top 60 recruit in the entire country committed yep. to Oregon state out of high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, from he's, he a is, North, he's a California kid. California um, kid. He's entered the entered the portal. There's you know ob- obvious attachments there. No idea what to really expect. The other name is Dante Moore, who we talked about on this podcast, I'm sure, a year ago. Former five star quarterback, originally committed to Oregon, uh, changed his commitment to UCLA. Started a handful of games there this year after. Um, you know, leaving the state of Michigan as a recruit, went to Martin Luther King in Detroit, uh, and his name is out there now. Again, if you're a guy that is looking for a place to redeem yourself, Jonathan Smith has recruited those players before. So, again, don't get distracted by what's going out. Like, it's a bummer, but this is football now. What's going to come in is going to be potentially even greater and uh, under more solid leadership. So there's a lot of reason to be optimistic. And I'll take it a step further. You know, that media money that we keep talking about that goes to every program, that money goes to buying players? Like whether, however you want to go about it, it's happening. So consider it's not just 34 head coaching jobs. It's 34 quarterback positions that can yield this much money for you it's 34 you know uh any position right if you're a starter there aren't that many and michigan state selling point right now is we got openings and Mm -hmm. you can go here or you can go um other places and you know obviously there's going to be more probably competition for the spot but if you're trying to grow with a program like this, there's very few opportunities quite like what Michigan City has to offer right now. I agree. I mean, we, we've talked about it before in the, when we've talked about the portal, but like there's playing time to sell. There's a true fresh start. There's, there's evaluators of real talent and guys that have taken low star players and turned them into extremely productive, draftable players. The, the pitch for Smith is very good and honestly like as a fan if you look at it you kind of have to trust his evaluation i think that's maybe one thing that you know msu fans have come to question in the last couple years is can our coaches truly evaluate talent because Mm -hmm. there were guys they brought in that especially through the portal that just didn't produce or can you coach up talent is another thing and we just didn't see it happen we, the staff that's coming in on the offensive side can. We never did it before. The D'Antonio years, we stopped even caring about who he was there. Like he had earned the benefit of the doubt so much that, you know, we stopped questioning it probably to a fault because it stopped working. Yeah, right. The end. But seriously, no one even questions like, oh, you know, 60th or, you know, was it a you know, 34th best recruiting class? They're going to they'll become studs. Like right. you, you just, he had proven it. And then, you know, then Mel made us start star watching 
And, you know, I think we're going to have to find a middle ground there. 100%. I mean, like, yeah. And all of this isn't to say that we can't, we shouldn't continue to try to recruit right. well. Because no. again, like, this is a top 35 school. It's a school that should try to swing with, you know, the big boys and has historically they have, it's not that they can't do that, but um, it's just going to have to be done a little bit more methodically and, you know, talent development is going to be just as important. And guess what? Talent development wins games. And while it may have been, but you even saw it at Oregon state Childs is a perfect example of it. Like Got he wouldn't, he's a top 60 recruit. That guy doesn't commit to your program at Oregon State unless you have developed talent and put a system in place that's going to produce a consistent winner and put players in the league. That's a quarterback that's making that leap. That's not a small that's not a small deal. That is not a small deal at all. So I, I think that's the way Michigan State has to build its program and take this all the way back to the beginning. It's so nice to see and so reassuring in a year that's been so not that to see the leadership recognize and say, okay, we need to get back to being this type of program and this type of school and this type of athletic department that has an ethos and has a, a personality that the people that believe in and watched and went to this school can buy into. Um, something that matches us a little bit better than brash and outspoken which, again, was really, really fun. I had a great time for the most part until this past year. Um, but I think well, that... And the year before wasn't great. Yeah, yeah, I guess the year before sucked too. Really, that one year was just really... Because <laughs> 2020 sucked as well. Uh, so no, 2020 was, was all... We were just like chilling yeah. at home a lot. Listen, that, that one year was sweet, though. Um, <laughs> we'll always have 2021. We'll always have 2021. And it was a blast. But, you know... I just think it's MSU getting back to its roots and it's just refreshing after a year that was so felt pointless going into next year. This team could only win six games next year. And I think everybody would still feel refreshed because at least they're going to, you know, hopefully go about it in a way that, yeah, I don't know, just, just a little bit more Michigan state. This honeymoon period is one of the more underrated feelings as a sports fan. Oh yeah. New coach. I mean, to be clear, I was all in on Matt Patricia with Alliance. Like you just, you just are. Like you have, like you have no choice, right? Like right. to be like, maybe it could work. And um, this is a fun. <laughs> little fun. I am not equating the two. Do, you know what it is? You know what it is? It's the, it's the Arrested Development meme. It's the well, maybe it could work for yeah. us. It's, that's exactly. the, that's the feeling. It's and never worked it, before. Yeah. Maybe like, for do, us. Do trial separations really work for people? No, of course not. They're just delusional and they think maybe it will. But maybe it'll work for <laughs> us. <laughs> Sometimes that is how these moments tend to feel. But I'm, I'm hopeful that we're not the Funke no. family here and that no, it's no. actually the right way to go about it. This this is, as we talked about in in as grades go, an A higher for uh, th- you know all the reasons we've talked about already. Um, don't get distracted from the long-term goal. You know, mm-hmm. th- don't get distracted by the level of recruit stars. Like trust, you have to. You have no choice. Just trust 
that this guy knows what he's doing. And if he doesn't, we'll be here along the ride uh, to, to call it out. And, and if he yeah, does, sure will. you know, then, you know, it worked. And, and the last point I want to make, the reason, one of the things we don't talk about, you, you made this point, Cash, a while back, and I hadn't realized it. When Michigan State was humming, you know, as an athletic program, it, it was coinciding with great leadership at the university. And Alan Haller has very quickly established a leadership position um, that is worth commending. You mentioned the Nightingale hire, uh, the women's basketball coach, Robin Freilich, great, great hire. Like, and it's already paying dividends this year. They're, they're, they just won tonight by deep DePaul by 40. Like they're, they're six and one on the year, I believe. Like he's made some incredible hires already that were perfect prep for this moment. And now I think we have a really strong athletic department leadership. And I think that is so important and, and underrated or, or maybe not even considered a lot of the time. And at, at least at Michigan State, it, it matters. And we have that right now. Yeah, it's hugely important. I mean, it's it's the hands on the wheel, right? Like, yep. at the end of the day, the athletic director is the one responsible for putting the pieces in the right place as much the way the football coach is on the field. It's just yep. a step above that. And yeah, Alan Haller deserves a ton of credit. He's made, and, and, I think all of the hires he's made have been spectacular. And honestly, credit to the board as yep. messed up as they yeah. are for staying yeah. out of the way. I mean, yeah. he didn't, or maybe it's just more credit to Haller for like yeah, keeping that's what more of that. That's actually what I'm getting at is yeah. keeping the dysfunction at <laughs> bay. Imagine the bare minimum ask in your job is to just not speak on a topic you don't understand. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And we're like, good job. You didn't, you didn't talk. You're the best. Like yeah. that's what we're congratulating right now. It's so sad. It, the, well, not to take us down a different path, but the UN, the North Carolina chancellor who is yeah. currently the only is very funny. Just speaking to the dysfunction and we'll jump into some other stuff. Cause we've been going a long time here is the North Carolina chancellor uh, is the only remaining candidate for the Michigan state presidency. And he said, he'll only take the job if the board promises to not interfere. That's how dysfunctional the board is. Shout so, out, shout out understanding the situation. <laughs> yeah, man. Just reading the room like big yeah. time. It's like, I'll do this, but these idiots can't get involved. So again, credit to Alan Haller for, I mean, kind of like dealing honestly with everything that's happened last year with some serious professionalism and uh, yeah, seemingly pulling off, at least in the, in the immediate term, a pretty fantastic hire. All right, Austin, should we, you tell me what we do next. Should we oh, gosh. end of the pod and then we break into the normal pod or what do you want to do here? Yeah, I mean... This know. is this is a kind of a unique situation. New head coach, and yeah, this can be its own pod. Okay, we'll do another one with some other stuff then. But all right, uh, all right guys. Well, we'll catch you on the next one. For John, this has been Austin, and we'll we'll talk to you next time. See you.